We have uh, begun a study in 1 Thessalonians, which is uh, really a study in basic Christianity. 1 Thessalonians is probably the first book of the New Testament that was written, uh, and is written to a young church, a church that was just founded over the last few months uh, by Paul, and he writes at a distance because he's, he's worried about them. This morning, as we look at verses 5 to 8, there's a little overlap with last week, but I want to hone in this morning and spend more time looking directly at, as we think about basic Christianity, the power of the Gospel to come in and transform a person's life. Sometimes I think we forget about that in the way that we hold the Gospel and think about it. Let's take a moment and hear God's Word. Verses 5-8, through I'll start in verse 4. This five starts in the middle of a sentence. Verse 4, he says, We know, brothers, loved by God that He has chosen you because our Gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men that we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the Word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come to Your Word this morning, we would lift up our eyes as we hear the way that Your Word came into the lives of these Thessalonian believers. The way that Your Word came in such power and brought change. Life change. Radical transformation in their hearts and their lives in such profound and persistent ways. Oh Father, that we would experience this power that our lives too would be transformed in, in this way and have this kind of an effect. Would you come near this morning in, in the preaching of your Word and in the power of your Spirit and do that work afresh among us. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've not seen someone come to Christ recently, if you've not been around really young Christians in a while, you may forget just how radical and how wonderful and how powerful the Gospel can come in and change a person's life. So radically turn them around and lift them up and make them a new person. Sometimes I reflect on my own story and who I was when I was 18. Late, you know, early in my adult life, but just long enough to be going the wrong way, doing the wrong things, thinking the wrong things, and acting the wrong way. My trajectory of my life was wrong. Who I was was wrong when the Gospel came into my life. And all at once, almost on a dime, that changed me. God opened my heart to the truth of the Gospel that when I heard it, I said, yes, it's true and I want it. And my life has never been the same. This letter reflects a story like that. It's a story of three guys who are introduced there in the beginning. Silvanus, Silas, and Paul and Timothy. They walk into a, a Greek city, a, a 
city that is full of idolatry and paganism and mystery religions, of of pluralistic religions of the ancient world and a little small Jewish synagogue. These three guys walk into this city, this center of commerce and economics, and start talking about Jesus. And everything goes haywire. There wasn't one Christian in that town. No church. No word about Jesus. They begin to preach the Gospel. The Son of God. God became a man you know, in a world that is broken by sin and alienated from Him. And God became man in Christ to reconcile the world to Himself by taking His own sins and paying the penalty of our sins on the cross to set us free to be sons and daughters of God. They preach this message. And dozens of people Thought it was true. Believed it. Trusted in Christ in a way that when you read the rest of this passage is profound. It's really amazing. It's startling. It's hard hard to believe that you can walk into the mall over here or I don't know where. You've got to go somewhere where they haven't heard it and aren't inoculated against it in some way. But walk in and begin teaching this message and dozens of people giving their life to Christ and forming a church. It happened in Africa when we sent the team to Uganda in the last couple of summers. They're helping a church plant a church in a town where there was no Reformed church, and they come wandering in preaching the gospel, and now that church has dozens and dozens and dozens of people. They're building a building. Paul says the gospel came in verse 5 the gospel came to you, brothers, not in. It just in words, but in power. And something radical took place. It came not just in words, but it did come in words. They preached the Gospel. They said the words. They told them the story. God commanded that the Gospel should be preached to every creature that is under heaven. That this is the central mission and ministry of the church to preach the Gospel to every creature that is under heaven heaven that they might come to know Christ. The world needs preachers. He sent them to go into every nation and teach and preach the Gospel. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim. Mark 16.15 Go into all the world and preach. Proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation. Right? And preach there means, proclaim literally means say the words. Tell them that story about Jesus and what He did and why it matters. Preach it. 1 Corinthians 1.21, Paul writes and he says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. He had just said that the Gospel, that story, is foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to the, he says, to Greeks. It is, it is a stumbling block to the Jews, but it's actually foolishness to the Greeks that is the Gentiles, the rest of the world. Just as it is in the world around us in America, the story that we tell and the things that we believe in a sense there, it's a, it's a crazy story. It's a crazy story. It, it is through the folly of this story, this Gospel message that God saves those who believe. That something happens. God works through the spoken Word of the Gospel. Jesus came preaching 
the kingdom preaching. He had a message. He had a gospel. Romans 1.16. Paul writing this much later than Thessalonians. It is no wonder that he says after having been to Philippi and seeing a, people believe in a church formed and coming to Thessalonica and seeing the power of the gospel. Dozens and dozens of people believing and forming a church. It's no wonder that he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of anyone who will believe. I've seen it. The power of the gospel to come into a life and radically and forever change it. It is central to the role of the church in the world. You know, St. Francis, Francis of Assisi gets falsely attributed with a quote sometimes. I, I heard it many times before I heard that it was uh, definitively demonstrated historically in his writings and his followers that he didn't say it. But it's been attributed to him many times. He said, it's, it's said that we should preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You've heard that or you quoted it. He didn't say it as far as anybody can tell. Um, that, we would call that in our climate right now, fake news. Um, <clears throat> so... So he didn't say it, but there is this thing there that preach the gospel all the time and when necessary. And I think I like, this, I like the sentence if you would change necessary to when you have the opportunity or something like that. Because there's a sense in which it is always necessary to use words. The name Jesus is a word, right? We have to, we have to say the words in a sense. People... You know, as we call general revelation, you can't study the stars and look at the trees and come to the name Jesus and what He did for us. It must be spoken. Don't get me wrong. There is service and, and that life, you know, preaching the Gospel through our service and our lives is, is necessary. Service is value in and of itself. No doubt about it. It can open doors for the Gospel and win a hearing for those words. Our lives certainly should, in fact, match and confirm the message that we're speaking. So I'm not saying that our lives shouldn't match it. I'm just saying, when necessary, it's always necessary. It's our job. It's our calling. All of those things should not obscure or lessen the fact that we have a message. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, Paul writes this and he says, all of this, he's talking about the Gospel, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. In many ways, that's the Gospel. We were alienated from God. Sin was the cause of that alienation. God came in Christ to bear our sins on the cross to deliver us from the penalty of that sin and to end our alienation and to reconcile us to God so that we can be His children. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to Himself. That's the message. That's the ministry. Not counting their trespasses against them. That's how reconciliation takes place. The forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Christ. And then He entrusted to us the message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. It's like God is making His appeal through us. We speak the message and God speaks through us in that message. And that's why there's power. It didn't come just with words, but with power. And that's where the Gospel, as Paul said, is the power of God for salvation. The Gospel has the ability to come with so much more than just mere words. Word and Spirit work together. The Word 
comes not alone in the, in, in the uh, preaching of the Gospel. The Spirit who inspired the, the Word of Scripture, the, the Spirit that inspired that Scripture, works in our hearts and illumines our minds to see and to understand and to know and to love. And so the Spirit who inspires the Scripture illuminates the hearts of people. They, they work together. They are both in the speaker and the hearer. When I studied this passage, there's a lot of I don't know if you call it debate, but when they say that the member that the gospel came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit and conviction, there are those who say that, that all of that is in the speaker, the preacher. So when the word, the gospel, comes out from me, that it comes to you with power. That God, there's this, you know, in, in our whole theology, we talk about the unction or the anointing of the Spirit, or the, that God would, you know, when I'm sitting up here before and you wonder what's he thinking about when he's sitting up there I'm praying for that I'm praying that God would give me the words that God would come with power that God would himself speak through me that he would do that but I'll tell you what else I'm praying for is you and I'm asking that God would open your heart give you eyes to see and ears to hear that he would soften that ground help you to receive the word that it would be implanted in you and it would bring change of heart and mind and life and that I believe God has to do that. I can preach all day and just be like preaching at the wall unless God is at work in the hearts and lives. So when, when people say, is the conviction, is that power in the speaker? Is that conviction in, in the ability the speaker has been given the conviction to give it well? Or is it in the hearers? I preached it last week and said that it was a con- that the come in your life in power and conviction and with the Holy Spirit. And so is it in the speaker or is it in the hearer? And the answer is yes. In, in other words, it's an event. You know, that, 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 that God works not just in the one who preaches and then it's some kind of magic on you. No, God is the one working in you too. God is the one who opens a heart and softens a heart as He opened Lydia's heart to receive the Gospel. Right? So there is it in one, it's, in, it's a preaching event where God shows up in a way that does enable to, to give that Word with power, but enables and brings people to hear and to see. First Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, Paul writes and he says, My speech and my message, and he says even my message, were not implausible words of wisdom. In other words, they would fall on deaf ears. They, they, they didn't have anything special in themselves. In many ways, I'm just a man. And I've got a foolish message for you. Right? My speech and my power, it wasn't fancy. I'm not the... But in a demonstration, it came to you in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men and anything that I said, not in me or in my ability to give you a message, but that your faith, the real thing that was created in you in Christ, is a result of the power of God. Not something I talked you into. Not some way that I, slick salesman ability, convinced you to accept. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. The Gospel. That's all I, that, that's my message, Paul says. Speak the Gospel. The Word about Jesus. Because it is powerful. God uses it. God chooses to use it for the salvation of those who hear. So we see the power of the Gospel to change and convert lives because God uses it when the preached Word, God chooses through the foolishness of what is preached to save. 
And, and it comes then with conviction, yes, in the speaker, but also in the hearer. And it's a kind of conviction. What is it? It's that movement to faith. I've been wrestling with this and talking about it. Conviction is this inner work. You know, in the speaker, confidence yes. The hearer, in the hearer though, is a, there's a change of heart that is conviction. That's the Spirit's work. In John 16, 8, Jesus says, He, the Holy Spirit, will come and His work will be He's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's His work. That's His job. And so when I preach whatever that Word of the Gospel is, the Spirit needs to be convicting you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, doing that work that only He does. And that brings this conviction which is that I believe it, and even not even just in my head, but I believe it in such a way I believe in such a way it changes everything. Right? And that happened to me as an 18-year-old. Living this way. Acting like this. Speaking like this. Stealing. Lying. On and on the list would go of the things I was doing. And when God came, when this message, and, and all at once, all at once, this is true. There's this conviction, this thing is this is true. And so I need to understand it and follow it. This Jesus is, true, is real to me. He is alive and He is alive to me. And it changes my life. This conviction, this work of the Spirit, eyes to see the goodness of God in Christ in the Gospel. And Paul says in another place that, it, that you know, where the, God, the devil has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so they cannot see. But he says, but the God who said let light shine out of darkness in that divine fiat that created a world out of nothing brought light where there was none. The God who said let light shine out of darkness made His light to shine in our hearts. To see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ, right? That is that illumination that brings it. That is more than uh, you know. Yeah, I think that might be true. I, I receive these facts and I'll accept them. No, we see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and we say yes to Him. And it's it's not an intellectual transaction. It's a soul changing event. Sometimes it's called being born again. No one is going to trust Jesus as Savior unless they believe and are fully convinced that the Gospel is true. And how do we get there? From where I was as a lost 18-year-old young man on a path to wherever, to in a moment saying, yes. Yes. Not a little, but all in, yes. God works. Bringing this conviction. What is foolishness to the world was, is foolishness. It will be foolishness to you again and again unless somehow you are brought to believe that it's true. G- Jonathan Edwards had a sermon called The Divine and Supernatural Light where he talks about this illuminating work of God that brings eyes to see and ears to hear that it's true. And he says this, one does not merely rationally believe that God is glorious. If you do, you're lost. It's not just an intellectual. But he has a sense of the gloriousness of God in his heart. There's not only a rational belief that God is holy, but, and that that holiness is a good thing, 
but there's a sense of the loveliness of God's holiness. I think that is an amazing, beautiful thing in a world that is full of brokenness and darkness and sin and evil and wickedness and the ugliness of it all. And here is one who is presented as holy. And not just I believe that He is. If there's a God, He would have to be like this. No. We encounter a God who is holy. And we have a sense of it in a way that changes us. There's a sense of the loveliness of it. The heart is sensible of a, of a pleasure and a delight in the presence of the idea of this God who is holy and He would be my God and that He would save me and, and make so I could stand in the presence of His holiness without fear and with great joy. Conviction. It's a change of heart. That's Conviction. It's not an intellectual transaction. It's a conviction. My friends, do you know the kind of conviction that has the glory of God and His Gospel gripping your heart so that your choices are different? Your life starts to look different. And that's where he goes on for here that comes with transformation. The power of the Gospel to transform a life. It not only came with this conviction and you know I believe this list of things that are true, but it's a kind of conviction that I know these things are true. I've tasted and seen that God is good and it brings transformation, life change. In 6 and 7, he says, you know, so your lives began to change. You became imitators of us and of the Lord and you received it in much affliction and joy. And he says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, but you became imitators of Christ and us. Some people balk at the idea that they were imitating the apostles. They were imitating Paul. Paul says somewhere else, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And say, what, what, what kind of pride is there in that? How many of us would say, well, I would say it is to our shame. If you can't at some level say that to someone, a young believer that you're teaching, in some way that we would, that we would be growing in our faith. Paul excoriates, that's a, you know, a, comes and, and, and chides the Hebrew believers because they ought to be teachers by now and they're still. And there's some level at which there's some, there ought to be some truth in that. You can look in some way, my marriage isn't perfect, but it's some way that I try to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And it's some level where we practice the Gospel in our marriage and we confess what our sin and we forgive each other and, and we're able to move on and to heal. And all the different ways that we strive to nurture our marriage and do those things. At some level, our marriage isn't perfect. And you know, interview my wife, she'll tell you. you know, but, but there's a level at which I need to be able to to another young believers, point them to what it looks like to try to follow Christ in your marriage. Like we ought, so I don't think it's pride in Paul, and not only is it not pride in these guys, but you've got to remember, this is the first book of the New Testament being written. They don't have a New Testament. You know, in some ways we say that too. Well, all I need to do is follow Jesus. I need, just need to read the words of Jesus and what Jesus said. Well, they don't have them written down anywhere. Even the Gospels, the Gospels are some of the last books written. Written later, they don't. They don't have all of that. So all they have is the teaching of Paul, the teaching of the apostles verbally, and their example, calling people to a change of life. You know what kind of men we were. We were there with you, you know. And he calls them to this transformation of life, and they embrace it in the midst of this. Again, you've just got to see this world is just clipping along as it is, as a pagan, idol worshiping Greek ancient city clipping along and the Gospel comes in and these men see something in Christ that they begin to 
We want to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to sacrifice themselves like Jesus, to love their spouse like Jesus, to, to work and have an attitude like Jesus, right? to imitate Christ. That's what it means to follow Him. There are many people who say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? It means in your marriage, you're trying to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You're being to her like Christ is to us. You're being Christ in your home. The example you set and the life that you give Right? There are so many of us in work, we say we're a Christian, and, you know, but our work ethic and our, and our, and our, our you know, and then it worked that people would at least see that I want I to behave at work and have my ethic at work and all those things at work to, to try to do it like, Je- like Jesus would do it. Purity, ethically, you know, wholeheartedly, working not as unto men, but unto God. We can go on here. It's this whole idea of this imitation of Christ. You, know, you have to understand, that is once, you know, after the foundations of the, the Gospel, we're saying here, basic Christianity. And this is Christianity 101. The Gospel comes into a life and changes it. And that change, it, change is this, a progressive conformity to the image of Christ. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of the Son. That is your job every day. To wake up and want to today be more like Jesus than yesterday. That my heart and mind would be full of the things that please Him. That the thoughts of my heart and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to You, O God. And in the way that we are in relationship with each other, James Lege says, the Gospel is not mere word of a creed or a ritual, but it's the power of a life. This is basic Christianity. And everywhere where Paul has something negative to say to the church, it's about their lives and the lack of conformity to Jesus and their attitude and the way they're treating each other and the way that they're living. We are little Christs. That's what Christian means. Imitators of Him and of those who have gone before us. And that these pagan, idol-worshiping Greeks are starting to look like Jesus is an amazing thing. They became examples for others. By verse 7, it says, they became, you have become an example in these short months that, that we were there and since we've been gone, you have become an example not only for the world. He says in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia would be like in Chattanooga and the state of Tennessee, Achaia. You know, you might have to cross some mountains or water to get somewhere else. That's Achaia. Southern Greece, it's, it's not easily accessible. It has gone. You have become an example not only to the world out there to say, hey, you know, Jesus is real and He changes lives. It's not only witness out there. He's saying, you young Christians have so embraced this in the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit changing your lives. You're an example to other believers now. You're an example to people who have been walking with Jesus for a while. You know, who already know that. You're an example to everybody of what this should look like. One of the marks of the power of the true Gospel in the lives of people then is how they received it and where they received it. As he says, not only that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, but you imitated us in this specifically. You received the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is one, this is, this is one of the Ways where the gospel comes and changes lives, and you know when they've truly been changed. 
is when you suffer. Suffering thins the herd. Temptation, and you know, this is the middle two soils, right? There was a bad soil and a good soil, and there are two middle soils, and you really couldn't tell. They were hangers-on at church until what? The pleasures of the world, and the sun rose in suffering. And he said that that thinned the herd. When the suffering came, the roots were shallow. When the pleasures came, it choked out that intellectual whatever thing that was going on. It can't survive the pleasures and temptations of the world. No intellectual little thing going on. I believe these facts is going to save you in those moments. What is going to prove to be a good soil in those moments is going to have to be that conviction that we're talking about. That Christ is real and true and He's worthy of my whole life. And no matter what happens in this life, He has promised me an eternal life. That He is with me now. He walks with me now. I know Him now. He, he invades my life and changes me now. And, and however I suffer and whatever I go through, that day will come. We were singing about it a minute ago. And on that day when... I don't remember the words now, but when we face you know, death... We do it without fear and without, with great hope. This receiving it, see, they received it. You know, again, some of the things, it's easy in certain places of the world, like America or even the South, to receive the gospel. Because there's no, you know, we can just make an intellectual transaction because there's no cost to that. Sure. But if you knew that believing the gospel and saying, I am a follower of Jesus and actually tried to do it, you might lose your job. And you might become an outcast in Chattanooga. And as far as your little you know, networks go, you, you, you would be, your reputation is destroyed. And you will actually be persecuted. Driven out of places. Overlooked for, overlooked for advancement. You know, different things like that. All the way down to it might, they might kill you. So to receive the Gospel with joy. This is the affliction Paul is talking about. Paul and Silas and his cronies fled Thessalonica because of the violence. And they were seeking them. There were riots. And Paul, they had to sneak out at night. Paul left the situation and left the church in it. And the church is still suffering that persecution. And under this affliction that they are, you know, it's not easy to... There is a conviction there that they are still saying yes to Jesus. And this is the truth. And I will follow it. And I will be like Christ in the midst of it. You can beat me. You can torch my house. You can, you can take my job. You can perhaps drag me to the town square and beat me with rods until I'm dead, which they did to Paul several times. They didn't quite accomplish his death. They, not for lack of trying. And I still won't recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. It is true. I know that it is true. That it is, I know that I know that I know that it's true. There is a sense of the truth of this in my soul in such a way that I will die happy at the edge of your sword. Isn't that, a, isn't that, a power, isn't that an amazing thing? An astounding, it happens every day all over the world. People who are so happy in Jesus that, they're, that, that they wouldn't let go of it if you, if you took their head. Much affliction. This is the power of the Gospel in the lives of believers. You know, we don't suffer this kind of suffering. I mean, you know, we don't hear that's, you know, that's a good thing, I suppose. On the other hand, 
On the other hand, where's our joy? You know, it should be no surprise that joy marked the coming of the Holy Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, and joy. It's no surprise that in the lives of those who know Him, in the lives of those in whom the Spirit has brought this conviction that He brought with it as a, as a sister in hand, joy and peace, and the growing life of change, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all those things that are like Jesus, it's no surprise that they come too. In fact, if they don't come, we need to wonder if there's been any coming at all. The joy of the Holy Spirit, despite our circumstances, despite the things that we're going through, the world has nothing to offer as you're suffering, whatever it is you're suffering, joblessness, illness, disease, alienation, you know, you, the list goes on, the things we can suffer. But the mark of the Gospel and the lives of God's people is in the midst of that suffering. There's a living Christ. There's the presence and power of a living Spirit. There is a God who is with us, who will never leave us nor forsake us. There is a God who opens our hearts and our minds again and again to the way He loves us and adopts us and, and has a plan for us and who has an eternity in His presence and, and all of these things that are rock solid in there that no matter what this world brings, you can never take it away. The joy of the Lord is my strength. There are so many around you this morning who are suffering in all those ways. Many of them will testify to God's grace and goodness to them in the midst of it. It's as Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 3, the end, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, if there's no fruit on the vines, in other words, if I lose my job, my bank account is shrinking, there's the produce of the olive fails, I can't find another job, there's not a real prospect, the fields, I'm suffering, I have sickness and it's getting worse and it's not getting better, there's Fields that yield no food. The flock is cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls yet. How can it be? See, when the world, the world knows nothing of this, yet I will find joy in the God who loves me and who saves me. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me to tread in the high places. In other words, He lifts me above my circumstances. You know, the valley's down here. You know, and it looks ugly. There's no cattle in the stall. There's no money in my IRA. And there's no whatever it is. But my feet are on the high places. Right? My strength is renewed like an eagle's. You know, my joy has not deserted me. Because God is the joy of my soul. All of this, the power of the Gospel coming into the lives of God's people and marks us. And it still works that way. It still works that way. I'm, I've been a Christian, I don't know, 35 years. I don't know, I have to do math and I don't want to do it real quick. I'll get it wrong. But you know, 35 years, I don't know what it is. But the Gospel came into my life that way. I didn't know any Christians. I hadn't had anybody witnessing to me. I didn't have whatever. I opened the Bible. I started reading it. I went to church one time and a guy told me what it meant, invited me to put my faith in Jesus, and my life has never, ever been the same. That is how God does it. The power of the Gospel to come in 
and bring that kind of life-changing conviction and to transform a life into the image of Christ in such a way that, verse 8, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. You can't hold this kind of thing back. This world-transforming, life-changing, soul-raising truth. You can't keep it down. You can't keep it back. The Gospel that transformed their lives sounded forth from them to the world, to their Macedonia and to Father Achaia. That Word kept being spoken. The name of Jesus kept being lifted up. He says it sounded out. That word sounded out is the same word they use for the blast of a trumpet. It's used for, to describe the rolling of thunder. You know, as it reverberates over the mountains, over the ridges as you look out, the thunder rolls. He says, the Gospel, the Word of the Lord, sounded out from you through Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has gone out everywhere. Like, I love that, the faith in It's not only the Word of the Gospel, but your faith in God. And what they're saying is, this, the story of your conversion... Right, the, 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 and this happened to me a little bit. I was thinking about it. I, don't, I hate to use myself as illustrations very often, but you know, it's one of those that when I came to Christ, and here's the thing, I, I had such a bad reputation that teachers were telling my girlfriend not to hang around with me. You know, that, that, that I was, I don't do anything halfway. So the crowd I ran with, I, you know, I'm out in front of the pack. You know, when I came to Christ, I had people stop me in the hallway and be like, what's up? You know, people at parties or places where I went, I had somebody call me years later and say, you remember in high school, like, what happened? You know, there's that thing with when life changes. I think that's what it is. Like, these are idol-worshiping pagan Greeks, you know, with the flow. You know, they are, they're typical. And then they're just like, what happened? Like, the story of your faith, your conversion, like that you've become one of these Jesus following and your lives have, you know, are looking like you're, the story of your faith has gone out. We're just being told around the world how God changed and formed a church in Thessalonica, a group of Jesus followers. Your faith, your lives, your joy in the midst of suffering is a witness. The whole church became a, a beacon of light in the dark world. You know, as I think about our move, Lynn and I walked the building yesterday. It's just exciting to walk through and see what God is doing there. But more than that, as you're pulling out, and we're in the midst of that community over there, and just the thought as I'm reading this and doing this, that I would love, wouldn't it be awesome if, it, if, if we moved in that community like this, and we moved in there and the Word of God sounded forth from us, like a roll of thunder across those neighborhoods that we came in and the story of our faith and the kind of people that we were as followers of Jesus would, would be told around the neighborhood. you got to check that church out because, because God has done something. Because of who we are. Paul says, essentially, you've made my preaching almost superfluous. Going back to that whole thing. So we hardly need to say anything. Because you're preaching it. It's not that the Word wasn't being preached. The Word was going out from them and their witness of their lives was so powerful that it was having an effect. Oh, my friends, 
I want us to move with a conviction of two things. A conviction of the power of the Gospel to change lives. That we need a fresh sense of that. A fresh sense of how when we are bold enough and and, and available enough to be used by God to speak the Gospel into people's lives, that, that God will use it. It is the power of God for the salvation of those who will believe. That He will use it. Not only the conviction of the power of the Gospel, but the conviction of the power of a Christ-like community. And how that testimony can go far and wide is a witness and a confirmation of that Word of the Gospel. Oh, that the Gospel would sound out from us. That our faith would go forth as witness. That God would use us like this. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You that You have come into our lives with power in, in the Gospel and changed us and called us to Yourself. And we pray that You would give us a fresh sense of the power of Your Gospel and how You are still using it. Still using it to, to save those who are lost. To build Your kingdom. To build Your church. To, to call men out of darkness into light. And to change the world. Father, would You come near and convict us with the power of the Gospel so that we would be bold to have it on our lips and so that uh, we would take our lives seriously, that our lives matter, that the only Bible that some people will read will be our lives and how they conform to Christ or not. Would You make us men and women so like Jesus that people would see it and that our good deeds would give glory to our God who is in heaven. Oh, come, come near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.